Hi, welcome to Haven Chat. This is episode two. I am so excited for the guest that I have on tonight. He is someone that I love and think is the most handsome man in the world and I get to do life with. We actually met later in life. I had had a couple of serious relationships. He had had a couple of serious relationships. And then through a cool story, we um, met and got married and now we have two babies. And the story that I shared last week about Eric, that was our third son who was born on earth. So I would like to welcome my amazing husband, Jeff. Thanks for being on tonight with me, babe. Oh, hey. It was hard to get here. You know, it was a really long commute. Uh, <laughs> thanks for having me. Um, Covering my hotel stay. and Yeah, I mean, how we do. <laughs> so I actually wanted to have you on because part of this whole idea of Haven Chat is to talk to people I love, I value, I think the world of, and to hear their thoughts and ideas and input on different places in life and what they think about different things. And you, of course, were the number one person I wanted to have on first and hopefully regularly because I love your insight and your input. And I just love hearing your ideas about life and the way that you think. And I'm not alone in that. You've done a couple (laughs) of awesome things for our church called Tuesday Talks. You've gotten a lot of traction on that where you've shared just kind of your ideas on stuff and people really love and value your, just your heart. And so tell us how long you have known Christ and when you gave your life to him and how that's shaped sort of your understanding of life. And then I have a couple questions for you. After that. You're going into deep the originals, huh? Um, Let's see. I found that... Well, I grew up in a Christian house. My mom and dad got saved when they found out they were pregnant with me. So they started asking questions, going to church. I think they went to a Lutheran church, and then they asked too many questions, and they ended up leaving and getting started with an AG church starting out of a house. So it was like a AG stands for Assemblies of God. Lutheran is more mainline. Yeah, so they started in a house church, one of the founding members, and then I was born, and that's where I grew up. Um, And when I actually, like, committed myself to the Lord, like, accepted him, was at a Billy Graham crusade, and I was six. And that was really cool. And I still remember the older gray-haired lady who prayed with me, and I have no idea of anything else. I just remember her praying with me and accepting, and that from that day, was like, everything's been different. It's been cool. Um... And then from there, I'm just trying to think through <laughs> the rest of your question. So basically, um, that was just a turning point for you at six. You found Christ. You were yeah. raised in a home that loved Jesus. They took you regularly to church. Yeah. You knew who God was. You had an experience that was more than just Sunday morning. There oh, was yeah, a we reinforcement were... of you guys being involved and yeah. there was that growing up and you moved across state lines when you were about 15, moved yeah. to California, which is where we're based out of. And so in your 20s, then you sort of took ownership of your own faith. Would you say that's fair? Uh, yeah, late teens. Um, I grew up with a family that was always involved. Like my mom was running Sunday schools, and my dad was helping with Horror Rangers, which is similar to Boy Scouts. Um, We did 
my dad and I would go every Sunday morning to set up church and would do teardown. And we were involved with all kinds of stuff. Even growing up after we moved here, we were doing groundskeeping and I got involved with the youth group um, as a member. And then later on as a leader, I think it was in my late teens though, where it was more of a, this is me choosing to do everything. I was involved with, I started playing drums on, in the band. Uh, so I was on the worship team and that's actually how I met you. Um, and I was involved with the groundskeeping and Royal Rangers and youth. And I did a lot of stuff. Just we were at church most of the week, it seemed. Um, but that's when it was really real for me, was being involved and acting out my faith. Um, even though sometimes it was an understanding that wasn't so deep. Like, I think I've learned so much since then. But at the same time, I I knew pretty well, like I had good teachers and I had been raised well. And so I had a good head on my shoulders for the most part. Um, I guess you kind of get that when you grow up in the church. If just if you have good biblical teachers and you have a good pastor and you have you're surrounded by people who care about you. So I was fortunate to have that. Um, not that I didn't screw up royally on a regular basis. Um, definitely have done that. But, yeah, it makes a difference when you actually choose to follow the Lord on your own and make it your own faith and to act that out in serving in different places. So I didn't prep Jeff tonight at all on what I was no, talking about. didn't. And the reason I love this is because I'm a super spontaneous person and Jeff is up for spontaneity, but he's more of the planner and the <laughs> yes, let's chart it out. Let's have share a digital calendar, all of those things. So we didn't meet until we were in our 30s. Mm-hmm. We dated for 11 months and then we had a 20 hour engagement. Um, yeah. Jeff proposed to me at midnight on December 24th and we got married that night at our old church. I borrowed my friend's wedding dress. He bought a suit It was Christmas Eve. Our friends said you can use the church for one hour. And it was an amazing story. Super cool. And we'll share that at some point. But tonight, I want to talk to Jeff about a question that I have. Because I think that this is something that maybe is valuable for this moment. And so anyway, Jeff and I got married in 20 hours. (laughs) We... Had an whirlwind. It, yeah, a whirlwind. It was not a shotgun wedding. We were not pregnant. Um, we didn't sleep together before we were married. But it was a little shotgun because we decided that at midnight to get married in twenty hours. <laughs> but Jeff asked my dad, <laughs> and there was still there were still. But sweet we followed places. all the rules. Yeah. Um, and so, anyway, we got married. We bought a house six months later. We sort of caught up to a lot of our peers in our thirties in a very short time, and I think God did that because of places of faithfulness and some places of disappointment that we had had to walk through individually before we got married. And I think God rewarded the place of us honoring him even when it was hard. So we get married. We had a lot of fun um, in our first house doing different projects together, kind of renovating the bathroom, every home that we've bought. There's been no microwave over the oven, so Jeff's always had to... <laughs> Put in the microwave. Yeah, it's the almost a sign, like, is there a microwave over the oven? No, we should probably Plum buy this issues, house. <laughs> electrical issues, we're going to work on all that. So that has been fun to do these projects together. Oh, yeah. 
It's been fun to do life together. It's been fun to grow in ministry together. I grew up in a ministry family. When we got married, Jeff said, I love you and I value that you have a call on your life, but I will be the guy who's in the back running sound and doing that stuff. But what Jeff it's didn't true. know yeah. is that there would be places where God would put him in the spotlight and give him an ability to speak in a way that maybe isn't always something people have heard. And I really appreciate that about him. He has a way of putting words together and making people feel valued in the way that he presents stuff. So tonight, my question. For I'm my... really nervous where you're going with all the buildup. Like I'm in trouble and you're going to like <laughs> ask me this deep question. I'm like deer in the headlights. I have no idea. <laughs> so tonight... I want to ask you a question because I want your off-the-cuff response. I didn't want you to think through this. All right, roll I up the I wanted to hear it's, it's on. what your heart was in this place. And it's okay if it's not exactly what you would have hoped if you had over-prepared. And I love that about you, by the way. But I wanted this to yes. be a place What of... she means is I would like to sit down, have the answer as a prompt, <laughs> and I would like to write a five-paragraph essay at minimum with, you know, a thesis and what I actually mean and explain it out and define out my terms and exactly what I mean and then error correct it, proofread it, and then submit it for you to read. But here's the thing. I think that a lot of us are in a season right now where we are, it's changed very quickly. And we're saying, God, what are you doing? What is your heart for us? What are you giving us? And one of the things we've been praying together as a couple and over our family and that we pray as we go into a new season every time is, Lord, define the season. Define the season and what it looks like for us so that we don't feel mm -hmm. like we're not sure where we're going or kind of like you're swept in that undercurrent where your feet can't quite touch the bottom and you just feel like you're fighting yeah. in what you're supposed to be doing and knowing that you want to rest. So my question for you tonight, babe. Okay, here it comes. Is when the season changes and it feels like it's the death of a dream, hmm. how do you respond? What is your approach to that? Ooh, um, having lived through a few of those, just, oh man, I'm just trying to think. Like in previous history, like in my life, I had a previous relationship. And, I mean, that was, it was a marriage and I was divorced after that. And that was the destruction of a dream because everything that you grew up thinking, you get married, you stay together, you work it out and everything's going to work out great. And it's, yes, it's trial and error and all the things that go with it. And then when it didn't, that was a place where the dream failed, everything that I knew failed and it was a massive depression. Like, how can it not? I mean, that's there's a reason God says he hates divorce, right? And you were but, abandoned in that marriage. You were left. You yeah, tried to make it left. work. I tried to make it there work. There were things left. that... I mean, that, I mean, it's two sides to make everything, right? So we both had faults in there. But I was trying to salvage something, and there was not interest on the other side. So then it was just, what do you do? What do you do when that fails and you have to pick up and move on? And so that was that was a deep time of soul searching and some darkness and some rebellion and running and hiding and a lot of stuff until the Lord got a hold of me. And coincidentally, when that started happening, that's when you came into my life. <laughs> so that was like, oh, okay. And then lately, I think we're seeing some of that again. We're just 
there's been times in our life that we've had something so good and great future and everything looks peachy keen and then we just get hit from behind um with with eric i mean that was a big thing and the dream died Mm. and what do you do because now everything is happening and you feel like a failure Mm. and like how do i move on i failed my kid and now he's home with jesus and i'm still here and i have to try to make this work and be strong in the middle of all of it and so it's happening again for us in a sense where the dream of a happy home and everything is good and hunky-dory and Mm -hmm. our future is sure and the american dream and the things that you want to do as a man um to protect your family and your children and give them this safe protected future and and build them up and grow them and all the things about that and that's falling apart in a sense not through any of our own doing just that's where life is right now and so how do we change that and tweak it and make it something good in the middle of the chaos so i think (laughs) that's a lot of soul searching and figuring that out and trying to pray and getting more in touch with the lord and say what do you want from me dude like where do you want to go with this what are you trying to tell me and where are we supposed to go give me a direction something you're grabbing and um I think you and I have been going through that a lot lately. And it's sort of like when we've been there before in the past. And there's just asking for clarity, for wisdom, for direction, for random things that someone might tell you out of the blue that they shouldn't know anything. And they'll just speak into your life and say, hey, have you considered dot, dot, dot. And it's like, oh, that's a little bit like a confirmation of where I've been going. And and you can ask some questions ago with it. So does that answer your question a little bit? So my question to follow up with that is I've been thinking about we've had some close friends lately that are losing their business. They're having to yeah. liquidate. We've had people who have texted or messaged us and said, we need you to pray because we have a child who is suicidal and mm-hmm. I don't know what to do with that. There are all these questions. There are all these places that feel heavy because they are. And I think I have been thinking a lot about what do you do when the death of the dream that something you wanted or thought looked a certain way. So like when we lost Eric, Mm. we thought that looked a certain way when we, you know, you mentioned earlier when you were, going through a divorce and the death of what that looked like. I've been thinking about nothing Jesus said was wasted. He always said what his father was saying. That's what he told us. And where Jesus says, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies. And I was thinking about this when I was talking to my friend who their business is being liquidated. And I was talking to her and realized that I was talking to me by saying when a seed falls to the ground and dies it is dark it's underground you can't see where you're going you Mm -hmm. might feel claustrophobic or trapped almost because that you're under soil right the seed is buried yeah there's that place of not feeling like there will ever be a new understanding of life or how could this dream ever be anything better than it is and 
so I guess my question to you is, what does that, how do you navigate that when you feel like you're being buried? Is there a place that you tell your heart? Is there a place that you align your spirit? Like, what do you do? What are maybe three things that you do to kind of get to an understanding of, I recognize that this is the death of a dream, Hmm. but these are the things I'm going to do to walk into a place of what? Yeah, I. it's interesting because we're not alone in this time of history where things are happening, not just to us, but we're watching it in friends and family and everywhere else where the things that they thought that were going to be set up for their long haul, like they were investing in their future, they were planning, they were doing it well, and then it's falling apart. And we're watching that like on a grand scale through the country and just families and things are falling apart and families are dealing with these deeply emotional issues or these like questioning, who am I? What do I do? Where am I going? And these massive things, people questioning sexuality, questioning their marriages, questioning their jobs, feeling like everything they've ever worked for is falling apart and going away. And there's people questioning whether they want to continue living. You know, so you're, I'm not alone in this. My issues aren't any better or any worse than anyone else's. And I think there's a little bit of solace in that. I'm not alone. And so I know that I have other people I can reach out to. I don't have to sit in my own despair and just suck it up. Like, okay, everything is terrible, but I'm just going to keep on moving through it all. Um, Because you can't. When... When you feel like you've been beaten down and the enemy has found the thing that makes you so dark and depressed and you're just in the pits because you found the thing to push and now you're questioning and you're asking and you're everything else. What I've been doing to try to pull myself out of that and so I don't inflict my like dark feelings on my family and on you um, and on friends and on the church is... Like, I've really been trying to wall it off. I'm a dude, so it's a little bit easier to, like, compartmentalize, right? Because we just kind of naturally do that. But I've been trying to say, okay, I'm taking, I'm going to church. I'm driving down there, and that's when I build my wall. So I'm going to build my wall real quick so I can be normal. I can do the job I got to do. I can be on with everybody else. And when I get out, I could tear the wall down and just, uh, and just feel and just like oh man i gotta deal with this wrestle with this stuff again but at home you're always on and so i'm not gonna inflict that on my kids so then you turn it back on again okay i'm happy go lucky with my kids i'm dad mode i'm doing everything you know i'm trying to be present and um relate with them and train them well right but you're still wrestling with stuff on the inside so what do you do right i think for me it's You've been good about giving me this. this is some, I needed alone time. And I needed to go sit and read. And so I've just been pulling my Bible and sitting and reading. And it's good on one hand. And sometimes it's terrible on the other. Because I'm like, this isn't the answer. I don't, I'm not getting anything here. But I'm learning about the Lord. So it's good. And I'm reading what he has said to me. So that's good. And there's stuff that um, I've read. Or I've surrounded myself with. A lot of podcasts lately that are either um, really solid teachers in the in the Bible, or 
going through the Bible like in a year. So it's a chunk of chapters versus every day. And so I have a couple of those that are going through. And so I'm just like pop my headphones on and I'm going to have to disappear for a little bit. But I need to listen to this and I need it to just like speak to my heart because my heart is a mess. I mean, what is the thing that we talked about when, with your old coworker? The heart is deceitful all, above all things. When their first thing was, the heart wants what the heart wants. And I think lately I've been like, yeah, my heart wants all this garbage. It just wants to sit in a puddle of misery. And I'm like, yeah, the heart is deceitful of all things. It just wants misery. It, my flesh wants all this garbage. And I don't have the time to deal with that. So I have to find a way out. And it's not fair for me to inflict that to my family and my friends and my church and everyone else. That's not right. So I have to deal with it because it's not right for me to spread that around. And I need to find a way out of it so that I can stay strong in the middle of all this stuff. And what do you do to find a way out of it? Because obviously just handling it yourself isn't... Yeah, you. it's... Like for me, when I'm in a dark depression mode, which I mean, this is... I'm a happy-go-lucky guy in general. Like, I'm fairly positive all the time. Um, so when I get down, I get, like, really down. And so for me to get out of it, oftentimes I just need to go play some video games, listen to podcasts, and that'll lift the mood, and I'll be okay for a while. Um, but when you get slammed, you have to be, like, diligent about reading your Bible and spending some time in prayer. And even if it's falling asleep every night, crying and saying, Lord, what do I do? I need something because everything I planned is now falling apart. This isn't working. This isn't working. And you're going to have to do something because I've done everything within my power and it's not enough. So I need something from you and you're going to have to show me where to go. And it, if that's how you fall asleep and <laughs> pray the Lord gives you something in the middle of the night as a dream or what starts working some answers in your life um for us it's just been almost sometimes a logical thing of just like well this this boat has turned into this this course that we're now on and there that's the path that's the path we're gonna have to go with and so we ride it and we do the best we can with it um but i think coming back to the bigger point there is just if you're not in your Bible reading, and if you're not praying, and if you're not using the church for what it's actually for, of connecting with other believers and saying, hey, I'm struggling right now. Like, I need something. I need to talk. Like, can we sit down and have coffee or something? You know, that's what the church was for, right? That's why we do it. It's not, the worship is awesome. We get there, we get the worship of the Lord, and that's cool. But sometimes that's as much as it's for the Lord, it's also for us. We get our happy feel out of it because we're getting to worship and you feel good after that. And it's not just about going to hear a message. That's your discipleship and your training and your learning stuff there. Now, the church was meant, like if you read the New Testament, that was meant for everyone to get together and commiserate together because they were being beaten up, killed, like dragged out of there. They were dealing with all kinds of crazy sin issues and they were there to talk about it and say, how do we build each other up and get more like Jesus? How do we actually do life like this? And some of them turned into almost like this mini commune, right? Because they're doing life together so much because they're building each other up. And I'm not saying you have to go be a commune or anything, but I'm saying 
we got to get back to where you're talking, where you actually have a few people that at least that you're talking and you can be open about everything. Here's what I'm struggling with. Throw it on the table. And then they can say, okay, I've been there. Like, this is what I did. Or at least just give you a hug and say, yeah, I'm with you. I'll pray with you on that one. And I'll walk through it and I'll check in and see what you're doing. And like, that's huge. You need that. So does that answer your question? <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I think it's good. I think I was thinking about Daniel in the Old Testament. Hmm. Um, what we know about him is he was taken from his parents at a young age, probably around 13, yeah. 14, maybe 15. And um, he was part of the captivity and was brought to Babylon, which was a very self-centered culture. There was a lot that went into the Babylonian culture. So for a 13 to 15-year-old kid to be thrown into that and then um, made a eunuch, so things were taken from him at a young age. He was never yeah. going to have children. And despite all of that, which if you talk about the death of a dream, mm-hmm. you're talking about a teenager who, first of all, is ripped away from his family. We don't know actually what happened to his parents. So we're not sure if they were murdered or if he was just taken. Yeah. And we don't know much about that side, but we do know that the dream of him having his own kids was taken away at a fairly young age. And then he was put into an environment where he was given anything he wanted as long as he was smart and did what, he needed to for the king. And what we learn from Daniel's life is he had all of these dreams taken at such a young age, but the place that he put into practice was being a person of prayer to hear God's voice. And he was someone who prayed three times a day because he was literally immersed in a culture from the time he was a teenager that was completely opposite of anything that resembled the living God. It was all about idols. It was all about self-indulgence. It was all about, um, (laughs) you know, prostitutes in the temple and having access to that whenever you wanted and lots and lots of stuff like that. So culturally, he was in an environment that was anti-everything that he had been raised to believe. And he was, a lot of things were taken away from him at a young age. And yet, he lived to be about 80, which is when we, a lot of us know the story of Daniel in the lion's den, which was when he was thrown into the lion's den and God miraculously saved him from that. But what was the place that he stood in despite all of that craziness? He was a person who prayed consistently every day. He made time for that. And Jesus says in the New Testament, watch and pray. And I think a lot of times for me in these kinds of seasons where it's the death of a dream and things don't go the way I want them to, and it's just hard. And maybe we don't have the best communication because, I mean, just being honest, right? Because we're frustrated and neither of us know exactly what to do and we're trying to hear the Lord. And so it's just hard. I think there's a place where that is an opportunity to, if if I will transition that in my mind from being this place of crazy 
which it doesn't change the crazy, into a place of watching what's going on and then going to the Lord. Not with some fancy big words or all that stuff, but saying, Lord, I need you. Or just coming to the Lord like Jonah and saying, help, (laughs) I need out of this situation and I don't know what to do. Help. And I've told the Lord, like, all I have today is the Jonah prayer. Help. Hmm. Show me what to do. But there's a place where I'm realizing these situations put me in a position I wouldn't normally be in to ask God for things I wouldn't normally or necessarily think I needed to ask him for. And so it's giving me a redefinition of trusting God because it's so much different than what I thought it was going to look like at this point in my life. I didn't think I was going to lose a child. I didn't think I was going to be in this culture where everyone is losing things that they wanted, that they loved, that they worked hard for. And watching people I love hurt is really hard. And so, and then when you experience those, your own places, you're like, I have two options here. I can either get bitter and critical and pull away from the believers of Christ, the church, pull away from the community of church, pull away from the word and just muscle through and do it on my own. Yeah. And easy thing that your flesh wants to do is run and hide and blow all of that off. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Or I can press into places that maybe look different. And I will be honest, losing Eric shifted friendships in our lives. Mm -hmm. There were people that I loved and was close to for a long time, and they just did not know how to walk the death of our son with us. And so that became a distant friendship. And, okay, things change. Seasons change. Friendships change. That is going to happen. Yeah. And letting God define the season and who needs to be around you in that season is also a big deal. I'm a super community-oriented girl. (laughs) I love having people that I love around me and being involved in people's lives. And this past season, that's looked a little bit different. And that's been really hard for me. And that has pushed me to go to Jesus in a different way. Yeah. Because even in losing good friendships, that is the death of a dream, too. Well, and never mind the fact that it's the season we're in. People are moving. People are transferring out. We've lost how many people who have graduated to heaven lately. Yeah. And so these people who are in our lives that you could trust and you were building your life around knowing them and having them as your contact and someone I can actually just bear everything to and say, hey, what do you think about this? I need your input. I need some help here. I need a hug when those people are being pulled in different directions because that's just life. Like, it's life. You People come and go and you're, and for various reasons and part of it from Eric, but part of it from jobs and just, yeah, everything. And so how do you move forward with that? You have to have a relationship with the Lord and say, Lord, uh, you just took my buddy away. And you're taking that buddy away. And and this one just went to be with you. Like, who do I have now? You're taking away my my pool of people that I was always close to. And it's the Lord kind of sh- like shifting it and saying, yeah, you, you got to go find some more. 
Like, you're an extrovert. Go work that extrovertedness and go find some new connections. Or don't and double down with me. Double down with your family. Double down with the people who are left. And you're going to have to connect with them in a different way to fulfill the places that are now empty. And I think, for me, I'm the opposite because I have very few people that I am always in contact with. Like, it's a small group because I'm an introvert. And my way of recharging is, like, I'm going to come home and play some video games and blow it off for the time and I'll be cool. And But there's still those people that you need in your life that you could say, I just need your input. You know, I need to talk to you and I need to bounce some information off of you. And when those people start going and you're an introvert and you have this small core, you're like, ooh, this is getting tight. Like, what am I going to do? So, but I think for you and I, that has forced us into different ways of talking to each other. And we've had to grow in a different way together. I mean, we've always been super communicative because it's just who we are. Because we dated online for how long we're, that was what we did. I would call you after work, because I got off at 11, and then you had to go to work at, what, 4? And so we talked basically from 11 to 4 a.m., so you slept maybe an hour, <laughs> and then I would go to sleep after. But we just talked through all of that. And um, that, I think, was the cementing of who you and I are together. We talk mm-hmm. through everything. Which makes it so much easier just to say, okay, here's this thing. Let's talk about that. Okay. Let me just talk about that. Talk about that. And that makes it so much easier because, like, when everything else starts shifting and you start losing all these other people in your life and everything else, I still have you. I still have the Lord and I have you. And I have a few others that I can talk to when I can't talk to you about you. So I have to. (laughs) But you have to have it. And so you have to shift really in a big way because how else do you survive i think for me it's been having to rediscover how do i pray how do i talk to the lord and how do i hear him and how do i dig into that and it's funny that you mentioned daniel because like this is one of those train up a child in the way they should go sort of things like we've talked about this before where who were daniel's parents because they instilled so much into him for who he was and how he had a faith that wasn't wavering. And he held true when it was easier to not. Because the whole concept of the Babylonian culture at that time was you steal a bunch of people from the, the culture that you just took over. You kill the rest. And you bring in these selective smart people and you absorb them. And you take the best of what they are and you basically convert them. That's why they gave them new names. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We don't talk about their Hebrew names. We know them as their Babylonian names, right? Because they were all converted. But those four individuals stayed so true to who they were. They didn't bow down and they didn't eat the food and they didn't go through these things and they still prayed and they stayed strong that it was noticed. And people said, well, they're not doing the normal thing. They're not bowing down and they're not absorbing And that's when they tried to capture Daniel, that they were trying to trick everyone into like, hey, he's praying. He's not praying to the the statue and all that, like, because it was different. They knew he was praying three times a day. They knew he was going to go do that. And that's why he was where he was. That's why he had such position, because he was so close to the Lord. And I think for us, it's like, okay, you and I grew up in a house where our parents loved the Lord. And they instilled stuff in us. 
And so when everything goes bad, I have that to fall on. And that's like, that's my core. And so at the end of the day, what am I teaching my kids? Because I want them to have that. So they need to have that core. So when things get bad for them, they have something to fall back on. And then I'm like, okay, well, there's my core. So what do I do for that? I double down on that. All right. I have the Lord. I've seen him move too many times to just question it. Like, I know, I know who he is. I know who Jesus is. I know that's the one way. I know all this because I've seen it. So, okay, if everything else is sucking right now, I got one thing to do. And that's, I double down on that. Lord, I need you. I, I got to be close to you because everything else is falling apart around it, right? So... You do that. And that's what I got to teach my kids. That's the thing. Like, maybe you go through these motions and these moments of turmoil and yuck so that you remember, oh, I got to give to my kids what I was given. And I got to do better for them than I ever got. And I want to make sure that they don't go through what I'm going through now to the best of my ability. You know? And I think it goes back to that place of Moses where God calls Moses and Moses says, how am I supposed to do what you're asking me to do? Hmm. And God says two things. He says, one, you tell them, I am sent you. I am who? I am everything you need. The second thing, Moses, what do you have in your hand? Do what's in front of you with what you have in your hand. And for us, that is discipling our kids, teaching them how to know Jesus from a young age. For someone who's not married yet, what is in front of you? What does the Lord have for you to do? What's in your hand? And God can use that to free nations. Mm -hmm. And I think when we refocus in the middle of hardship, if you're going to talk about Moses, he was in the middle of shepherding after being raised as a prince. He was on the backside of a mountain when a burn when a bush you know lights on fire and doesn't cause cause the whole thing to be on fire. <laughs> but the point is, we're talking about Daniel, hard place, death of a dream. Moses, hard place, and in a lot of ways, death of a dream. He ran away because he tried to do it his own way and it didn't yeah. work. But in my heart, I think when we hit hard places and it causes us to refocus, we have to say what's in front of us, what's in our hand. For us, it's our family, it's our kids. We are responsible to give them what they need in this season. Mm. For you, it may be that you're single and you want so badly to be married, and that's not the reality yet. But faithfulness to God is always will always be honored. What's in your hand, what's in front of you? If you're older and you're widowed or you've lost someone suddenly because you weren't expecting that, what's in your hand, what's in front of you, and God will honor that. He will give you creativity. He will give you strategy. He will give you wisdom, and he will give you strength. And that, I think, is what we're seeing in the midst of all of these places, that when we look to Christ, he gives us strength, and he will show us when the death of a dream happens, what that definition of the next season looks like. I was going to say, maybe it's not always the death of the dream. Like at church, we've been talking about Joseph. Joseph had how many dreams where things were going to be his brothers bowing down, right? Mm -hmm. And he talked about it. And then everything shifted because his brothers sold him. 
-hmm. but it wasn't the death of the dream. It was not the right season. The, the dream was still accurate. The dream was still there, but he had to basically hit pause on that and do some growing up and get ready so he could be into the fulfillment of that, right? So he had to go through how many years to get ready to where the dream shifted to in his perception and everything else, but it still happened. So maybe it's one of those places for us that's what we can hang on to is like, maybe the Lord gave you a dream. And that's a great dream and it's going to impact your life and it's going to impact other people. And it doesn't look like that's even remotely possible right now. That doesn't mean it's not going to happen. It doesn't mean it's off the table. It just means that maybe the timing's not right. Maybe you thought the dream was going to come true in a year and it's actually 10 years. And you have some mm -hmm. stuff to get through first because you have to be prepped. You have to go through some life and you need to go through the dumps first. Because if you can't go through that and climb your way out, then you're not going to be ready for what the dream entails. Because mm. you're going to go through some stuff. And if you aren't ready to handle that, you're going to blow it. The dream will fall apart because you weren't ready. I mean, I remember my dad saying at a time when he was without a job, he started driving truck, right? And so he told me about these times that he had these encounters. And he said encounters with angels where he was completely lost in the middle of nowhere. And some dude walks up and gives him perfect directions on how to get where he had to go in the time that he had to get there. And there was no one around. And so he just backed up. He started going. And that guy in the car they drove in was completely gone, invisible, nothing for miles. Mm. And he's like, there were moments like that where he's like, I was in the depths of my depression because I had, I felt like I failed my family. I remember him telling me that. And yet the Lord was showing up and showing himself as real to me, mm. you know? And it's like afterward when the Lord came and brought him to a new job and brought things to fruition and have started blessing him, he realized I had to go through that because I had to understand that for my marriage and for my kids and everything else, I had to go through the depression. So I could relate to other people who ever go through this. I can relate to them now and I can say, here's what you do and here's how you get out of it. Or here's the way that you can work with the Lord and have a future out of it. That it's not always the darkness that you see around you, that there is a reason sometimes that you're in there and you just have to stand fast and stand tall to get through it. Like, Lord, I need your help. I got to get through this. You got to show up every day for me right now because it's dark and I need your light until you bring me out of the, the pit. So. And I just want to encourage you that disappointment and discouragement are two of the biggest bully clubs that the enemy will use to try to take you out and tell you that you didn't hear from God and it's not real. And that is a lie. <laughs> mm. And everyone gets told the same lies. And everyone gets told the same um, places that disappointment and discouragement only are the end. And it's not true. Mm. And I just feel like I'm supposed to say this right now. Um, but if you are dealing with a place where you think that life would be better without you in it for the people around you for whatever. I want to just say that is a lie. 
and your life is so valuable and it is so needed. And there is this place where there's been something that's been told to people of death with dignity where you plan it. Oh, no, yeah. God determines our days. Yeah. He gives us the strength and he He gives us everything we need for every moment. So if you are discouraged or disappointed, I just want to pray over you right now. Father, in the name of your son, Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray for every person who hears this, that they would feel your hope, your love, your life, and your joy. I pray that you would just cancel any places of disappointment or discouragement that have tried to take them out and have fed them the lie that they are not valuable, that they don't really hear from you, and they're not worth it, that life would be better without them. We ask that you would cancel that in the name of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. You would speak your life to every person that hears this. And we thank you that you bring hope, that when it seems like there's been the death of a dream, you have not lost faith in us. And what you speak does not change. And so we thank you that you would call people back to your heart, to your love, to your word, to your hope, and to the place of life. In this season, we thank you, Jesus, to release a new place of life and love and hope over every person who's listening we bless every family and every person in the name of Jesus. Yeah, amen. We just want to say thank you so much for listening. This is podcast two of Haven Chat. And again, I'm so honored to have my husband, Jeff, on with me tonight. Thanks, Hi, babe. Yeah. Hey, anytime. <laughs> you know where to find me. <laughs> and we'll probably have him back on again because I love picking his brain and just hearing his heart on I things. I hope you picked my brain well and I answered well. I don't <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I was so completely unaware. We, uh, the release date for Haven Chat is Tuesdays. So find us on the platforms, share, subscribe, like, all the things. And we'll see you again next week. Thanks for joining us.